Welcome. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church's online worship for May 17th. By God's Spirit, we are gathered together, even as we worship apart that by His Spirit He calls us and unites us in Christ. And so we come anxious to hear His Word, anxious for His Spirit to meet us and minister to us as we sing and pray together. As we begin our time, I want to just share a few announcements. Uh, one is to be reminded that it's Christ who welcomes us. And so even now, if you're worshiping with others, I invite you to extend that welcome, the peace of Christ to one another, or, or you can send a text or a quick note to others or offer a prayer of peace for a brother or sister in Christ. And also, it's in Christ's generosity that he invites us. And so we come wanting to encounter his generosity and respond generously. And so I invite you to give to the work of the church, uh, especially I want to highlight the Benevolence Fund, something you can give as a way for the deacons to care for the church community or our neighbors at this time. And if you have needs, uh, please let the deacons or the church know that we want to be able to support you uh, during this season. Also, a couple other uh, quick announcements that uh, were in the pastoral email. Uh, one, we're doing a window display in the community space, inviting you to share uh, you know, notes of encouragement or prayers or things that you're missing or thankful for. If you're interested in that, you can check out the, the email or you can contact uh, the church office or the, the website. And also on Pentecost, May 31st, we'll have a special Zoom service where we share communion together. And if you'd like to have communion delivered to you, uh, please let the, the church know. Again, it's, there's a link in the email or you can contact the church office directly. But we gather here to worship by God's Spirit. So let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 66, and we'd love it if you sing it along with us at home. Praise our God, O people, let the sound of his praise be heard. He who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tried us as silver is tried, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love.
Um, I'll be offering a prayer for our time together. Um, I'll conclude our I'll conclude our time. Um, I'll conclude prayer with a time of silence to give you a chance to offer your own prayers of um, confession of need to God. Um, and as as has been our practice this season, I encourage you to pause the video and take a moment to reflect, or if you're worshiping with others, to check in with them. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we confess that we continue to feel unmoored, cast adrift, looking upon what seems to be a desolate horizon with little to grasp hold of. We grow weary of the daily tally of illness and death. Our work feels increasingly tenuous as friends and family continue to lose their jobs. Our plans for education, family gatherings, and celebration of milestones wither in the face of uncertainty. As the COVID-19 crisis wears on, remind us that in this world of sin and suffering, you have not left us alone, that you've always upheld the widow and the fatherless and washed over the sojourner, that your spirit, the spirit that binds us to one another and to all who believe in your son is a spirit of justice and mercy. We ask that you fill us with that spirit and guide our paths in humility. Lord, as we stumble through this time, we thank you that you have shown us your face, that you've called us to worship you. Remind us of who you are. Lord, let us turn our eyes to you. Give us confidence through your spirit to love one another. Soften our hearts that we may see those for whom fear and uncertainty are familiar emotions, old companions. Help us to remember the people who do not have the option to work remotely. Um, we pray, especially for the agricultural and food industry workers that are hidden from our view, but whom we rely on daily for our sustenance. Protect them. We pray for the day laborers, for those who work in the informal community or informal economy, and for all those who toil in the shadows of our economy. Provide for them. We pray for all those who lack adequate food and shelter. Sustain them. Father, <clears throat> In the midst of this acute crisis, we know that other suffering continues. We pray for those who are sick with illnesses other than COVID-19 and who have to face those illnesses alone. Comfort them with your presence. Give their loved ones peace. We pray for those struggling with addiction who may be feeling increased temptation and have less access to support. Grant them peace. Father, we pray for those who are dealing with war and dislocation and famine all over this world. May we not forget them. Keep them, Lord. Father, we lament the violence that still haunts homes and terrorizes children. Protect all those who suffer at, who suffer at the hands of others in their household. Father, we ask that you hear our prayers, strengthen us, fill us with your helper that we may hold fast to you and love that which is good. Please take a moment to bring your prayers and confessions to the Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have made us your children through the love and faithfulness of your Son. 
Good Father, we thank you that you listen to your children. Let us hold fast to this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The New Testament reading, Acts 17, verses 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And John fourteen fifteen through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thankful for a chance to worship with you and thankful for a chance to look at God's word together. Uh, it's the season of Easter tide, this time between Easter and Pentecost. And as I mentioned before, during times of uncertainty, the church calendar can be of great help to us to give a sense of direction and reminders of who we are. And so during this season of Eastertide, we have been reflecting on the significance and meaning of the resurrection, on the, on the hope of Easter. And so this series has two more weeks today and, and next Sunday. And as 
over these two weeks, we'll look at passages from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is one of the key sections, key books in the New Testament about the resurrection. Specifically, it speaks to how the resurrection gives hope in the midst of our present suffering. And so today we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. And our passage will invite us to see uh, two things. First, that suffering is part of the Christian life. The suffering is part of the Christian life, that we don't stop or somehow avoid suffering because we have faith in Christ. And the second thing our passage invites us to see is that we are to view our present reality, our present situations, and the connection with Jesus, in light of Jesus, the one who knows suffering and death, but the one who also knows the resurrection to life. So let's look at our passage from 2 Corinthians. Again, this is chapter 4, 7 through 18. You can just listen, or if you have your Bible, you can follow along there. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So if death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as those who are hungry and thirsty for your truth and for your hope. So Lord, we give you thanks that you are not silent, but that you've spoken. And we pray that by your spirit, you'd meet us here today and speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the sermon will have two parts to it, two sections. The first one will look at the truth that suffering is part of the Christian life. And the second section will look at the truth that we're, we're to see our present circumstances, our present suffering in connection with Jesus as part of our union or participation with him. So suffering is part of the Christian life. Now, I don't know about you, but you might say to yourself, yes, of course, I, I know that, I can see that. But in Corinth, Many of the Corinthians were looking at Paul, and many of them were troubled, troubled by his humble public appearance, that he was in and out of trouble, 
that he seemed to always know suffering and weakness, and that now he's facing death. And all this they were wondering, why is an apostle, an apostle of Jesus, not more impressive? Why doesn't he appear more important or more powerful, more successful, better at avoiding trouble or suffering? And in response to these questions, these complaints, Paul offers an image. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, earlier in the letter, Paul describes this treasure. He says, it is the knowledge of the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ. As God brought light into darkness, Paul says, God graciously pours out this treasure, this knowledge, into our hearts. And we have this treasure, this gift, in earthenware containers, in earthenware pots, in bodies that know weakness. You see, in response to the question over his vulnerability and suffering, Paul's image makes the point that the gift of this treasure does not mean Christians will walk easily through this world, somehow unaffected or avoiding all difficulties. In fact, Paul says it means the opposite. We have this treasure in jars of clay, vulnerable vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Think for a moment about a clay pot. Maybe you've made one in art class, or maybe you have some around your home you know, with flowers or different uh, plants in them. Earthenware vessels are easily broken. Today, especially in the past, they were common and fragile. It's clear that any power, any treasure, any glory belongs to what is poured into the jar, what is put into it, not the jar itself. Maybe we can picture a valuable ring placed inside. For those who enjoy wine, a common glass bottle holding a rare and fine vintage. In ancient days, perfumes or ointments of great value were sealed inside of clay pots. And Paul is saying here the contrast, the contrast between the treasure and the everyday container is not a problem. Rather, it's the point. It's the point that we are to see and understand. This contrast shows that this treasure, that this all-surpassing power of God, this gift, is not something that we have secured, but something poured into us. Our knowledge of God, any glory or strength that's at work in us comes from God. It doesn't belong to this vessel. And as the Corinthians look at the clay jar that is Paul, they have their wonderings. In the face of their questions, Paul does not distance himself from his experience or his suffering. You see, rather, he confirms the severity of it, adding to the image of the treasure in a jar, a clay, jar of clay. He offers four poetic statements that reflect the contrast between himself, this fragile vessel, and the power of God. These four statements, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
to see what he's inviting us to, to see in his experience, we are afflicted and hard-pressed under all kinds of pressure. We are perplexed, at a loss, cornered, don't know what to do. We are persecuted, mistreated because we seek what is good in our ministry or in faith. We're struck down, cast down, despondent, overwhelmed. One of the characteristics of 2 Corinthians and one of the reasons that many people love this letter is that Paul is profoundly honest about his emotional and physical and spiritual challenges. He does not cover them up. He knows, he knows what it's like to be a jar of clay. As the letter opened in that first chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about an experience of intense suffering. I was overwhelmed beyond my power to bear it, beyond my resources, beyond my ability to cope. This is how it felt for Paul. And I assume that many of us can relate to his feelings. As he's inviting us in to be honest about suffering, maybe we can think of past struggles, sickness or loss, mistreatment, Or obviously maybe we can think of the present, of fear and uncertainties of worries, things that have been lost or uncertainties around finances. In this place, in his experience of being overwhelmed, Paul comes to the point where he sees that his only hope must be outside of him, must be beyond his resources, his commitments. He concludes, my only hope is in the God who raises the dead. My only hope is in the God who can bring into existence that which does not exist. See, it's out of that revelation, out of that clarity that Paul proclaims that his, it's not his impressiveness, it's not his strength, but rather it's his weakness for us to see that we have this treasure of faith and of God's power in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power, the power of life, does not come from us, but from God. So whether we've thought about this before or whether we already are in agreement, it's good for us to reflect on this image of a jar of clay holding a treasure, to know that spirituality does not mean no more suffering, but rather that suffering is part of the Christian life that we can point to the gift and treasure of God. The second thing I want us to see, a second truth in our passage, is that we are to see our present circumstances, our present suffering in connection with Jesus as part of our union or our participating with him by faith. Even as Paul affirms his suffering, he also affirms something else at work. In the four couplets, He affirms not only his feeling, the experience of being a jar of clay, but he also gives witness to the treasure, gives witness to the power of God at work in us. Do you see again what he says? We are afflicted and hard-pressed, but not crushed completely. We are perplexed at a loss, but not at our wit's end, not driven to despair. We are persecuted, mistreated, but not forsaken, not abandoned. We're struck down, overwhelmed, but not destroyed. 
hear his language that invites us to honesty about our condition and experience by also giving witness or having hope in God's transforming presence and power. And these four couplets, these four poetic words lead to a vivid explanation, a vivid summary. It's important that we see where Paul concludes. He says, we are always carrying in, our, the, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. I've shared before about my garage, <laughs> that it's pretty much always a mess. It's one of the victims of my hoarding tendencies. Well, good news, good news for those who are worried. During this stay-at-home time, I have been cleaning my garage. It's not anywhere close to being finished, but it's more organized. It's a little cleaner. And I even found boxes of various screws and nails. And on my workbench that I cleared off, on my workbench, I set up two boxes, one for the screws and one for the nails. And I've been slowly putting them into their spots. Even as I put them in the separate boxes, having subcategories for their different sizes. It's very exciting. <laughs> Those who know I'm not so detail-oriented will be impressed by this. I ask you to picture those boxes, picture that sorting. For I want us to see that Paul is offering us two categories, two boxes, if you will, for viewing and processing our experiences. The death of Jesus and his risen life. See, the one who proclaims the crucified and risen Lord finds that what is being proclaimed becomes represented in his or her life. What our passage is inviting us to see is that on one hand, she, the follower of Christ, is subject to the forces that lead to death, but on the other hand, she is upheld and she participates in and knows the first fruits of the risen Christ. And we're invited to see that these central events of Jesus' death and life, they are the categories to see and to understand our experiences. See, therefore, suffering is not a sign of unfaithfulness or displeasure or being unspiritual. Rather, we're invited to see our struggles as participating in the death of Jesus. And in the same manner that we share in his death, we share in his resurrection, union with Jesus, that we may have hope and joy and strength even in the midst of those moments of death. Our passage is inviting to say that faith means that we are united to Christ, that we are in and with him in his death and resurrection. We carry in our body the death of Jesus so that we may also manifest the risen life of Jesus. This is language of participation, mystical language of connection and union. The category of death, I want to look further at these categories. The category of death reminds us that Jesus took on flesh, that he became a jar of clay. And as we experience the normal challenges and pains of life, I say normal, but they are always painful, but the challenges and pains of life, we participate with Jesus, one who knew weariness, disappointment, loss, rejection, loneliness, and ultimately death. 
And in addition to these universal human experiences, as we seek to follow Jesus and to love God and love our neighbor, Scripture tells us we encounter resistance within ourselves and around us. Paul talks about that experience, that he faced challenges, mistreatment, imprisonment, people telling him that he is not what they wanted or expected. And in these moments, he's saying that he and all who follow Christ are connected with Jesus, carrying his deadness, because Jesus too confronted unjust powers. He healed the sick. He gave up his rights and riches to become a servant, especially to the poor. And in his death, Jesus was rejected and humiliated, tossed aside, his suffering deemed right and acceptable. The Christian life, any form of ministry or serving others, our acts of generosity, of hungering for righteousness, of asking for or granting forgiveness, any action that represents Jesus, while beautiful, will be costly. And this cost can be expressed in what one must give up or relinquish, and the suffering that comes from loving or reaching out to another, the struggle of denying ourselves or any accompanying disregard or mistreatment or rejection from others. And what our passage is inviting us to see in all this, in all this, our suffering and that which comes from following Christ in the world, that we are invited to see them as participating with Jesus, not something that we are experiencing on our own or that we're making our own path, but that we are united with him that together we bear suffering and participate in his work, that we are carrying in our bodies his death, not alone, but in and with Christ. The author Zito Madu is a child of African immigrants, and he writes about his thoughts as he lives in Detroit with his parents during the pandemic. Some of what he writes is this, what we have now is a world that makes people vulnerable and then punishes them for this vulnerability. But I'm looking forward to something new and just, a world with respect for human beings and their inherent dignity. He goes on, amid my anger early on, I was also trying to plant a garden of hope. I tried to collect the joys of life, which this present evil is threatening and the things that the normal cruelties of the life take away. At the center of this garden of hope is life itself, the miracle on which everything else depends. I like this passage for a number of reasons. One, it's honesty, but also it gives this image of planting a garden. I know some of you even in these past days have literally been planting during this time flowers or food in the ground or in clay pots. Here, Madhu is inviting us to this image, a garden of life and thanksgiving in the midst of threatening circumstances in a hostile world. Can you picture it? Can you picture it in a place there was before just weeds or stones and gravel, a garden breaking forth? Can you picture something like that in your yard or on the street here in the city? Paul's saying, imagine that now in our hearts or in the world, that in this hostile place, in this place of death, God has planted something new, 
And at the center of this planting, at the center of this garden that's breaking forth is God's first action, the basis in the midst of cruelty and loss, in the midst of suffering and death, is the resurrection of Jesus. The garden starts with God acting to bring life in the face of death, in the face of all that would uproot our hope. You see, we're invited to consider our suffering, to see our struggles in the context of Jesus' death. But we're also invited to see his resurrection, that his life is at work in our mortal bodies. Jesus not only experienced humiliation, but exaltation. And we carry not only his death, but his life. In his resurrection, Jesus makes clear that he is the final word. Think about this. The final word is forgiveness, not guilt. Life, not death. Purpose, not meaninglessness. Value, not disregard. Hope, not despair. And in God's grace, this power, this treasure has been planted in our hearts, manifest in our bodies in our mistreatment, in our suffering, and even in our death, we are not ultimately crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken or abandoned. As we think about practicing hope, especially in this time, I invite you to to, to take moments to pray or to meditate on the image of a garden. A garden that takes root, that is planted in the midst of a place that was hostile and empty before. Can you picture in this place of affliction, a place of loss and of fear, a place of being overwhelmed, that God acts to plant, that God acts to break the soil. And this action of God is set in our midst, it's set in the center. It is the risen Christ, the one that breaks forth as something, not our strength, not something the world holds, but there's new life from God. That is the center of the garden, the planting that will spread in new ways. This is our hope now. Now we can participate in his resurrection. Now we can give thanks. We do this now, the passage says, by saying that we believe and speak. To quote from Psalm 116, every day, whenever we encounter the affliction, that we believe and we speak that the center of the garden is God's action, not ours. Over and over again, carrying the life of Jesus in our mortal bodies, this participation starts with confessing and speaking the good news. Jesus who suffered and died has been risen, and he who raised Jesus will raise us and bring us into his presence. There's something more than the hostility of the world, my sin, my suffering, or my resources. We can participate now in this resurrection as we give thanks. We can cultivate the garden as we give thanks for God's grace. We can picture collecting the fruit, collecting the harvest. We thank God for his action in Christ, our union with him. We thank God for the good gifts and signs of new life in us that we see and enjoy and collect the flowers of the life of God's planted. We can separate this now with this hope as ultimately rooted in the future. The final word, we can let, we look and confess and give thanks. The one who raised Jesus is the one who raised us and bring us into his presence. And this leads to a statement of hope. So we do not lose hope. We do not lose heart. In our suffering and these hard times, 
we do not lose heart because we're united to Christ. And though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is the good news of God, and it's the promise that we're invited to participate in in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and we pray that it would speak encouragement to us. Wherever you find us this day, lift our heads by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand And cast a wishful eye To Canaan's fair and happy land Where my possessions lie Receive now God's blessing.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and grant and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen.